many of you, I am a familiar presence at Knox, so this is the first time I've had this role here. Um, there's something you might not know about me. My background is not in theology, but it's in biology. So I studied at the University of Waterloo um, with a specialization in microbiology, um, and I spent several co-op terms working in food science. I worked for Maple Leaf Foods in their Canada Bread Product Development Division. Um, at Waterloo, you can spend four months in school and then four months working, and you alternate um, to get relevant work experience before you graduate. As I was preparing to share with you today, I did a little reconnaissance, and I found at Sobeys, one of the products that I worked on is still on the shelves. So the Dempster's Half Loaf Rye. I uh, spent four months working on that. And I want to share with you a little bit today about how I experienced God and faith in the work that I was doing as a commercial baker. The process of bringing a new food product to market is more complicated than I understood before I worked in this industry. It can take years of research, you know, small-scale test baking, sampling, chemical analysis, physical analysis, government um, accreditation, marketing, packaging design, factory scale-up, shelf life testing, all of these steps before the product ever makes it to the store shelves. I spend most of my days in this job in a small bakery on Cothra Avenue in the junction um, near the stockyards. And I would often start these test bakes around 2 a.m. So I remember driving down the empty gardener, like fighting to stay awake, driving from my parents' house in Oakville. Um, I would meet inside the factory with the staff that operated the machinery. Many of them had been working there for 20 years. They would begin turning on the mixers, the proofers, the conveyor belt oven. Um, and we would get ready and we would start taking notes as they weighed the ingredients. So by hand they would weigh a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, a bit of yeast, and then open up these silos from the roof to let in hundreds of pounds of flour for this, this test bake that we would be doing on these loaves of bread. From there, the dough would be mixed in giant industrial drums and lifted up to be funneled into uh, dough balls. And then those were rolled into loaf shapes and put on a board, wheeled into the proofer. They would be left in the proofer, which is like a warm, moist room. Um, if you joined the sourdough craze of 2020, you are familiar with proofing, um, or the bread machine craze of 1990. Um, the, the idea is that as dough rests in a warm environment, the yeast inside the dough begins to break down the flour molecules and releases carbon dioxide, and that's what makes the bread rise, makes it fluffy. After proofing, the bread would be cut across the top with a small knife. The, the person standing at the oven would coax it off the boards into the oven. It would travel through for about 20 minutes and bake, and then somebody at the end would, would be wearing large oven mitts and take all of these loaves off of the conveyor belt. And at that point, we would stand at the doors. They would roll up these large garage doors to let out some of the heat, and we would watch the sun rise over the train tracks, and it was a good, it was a good job. It was a good way to start the day. But throughout this process, my job as the, the lowly co-op student, I was taking measurements. So I would, you know, gather a whole bunch of the dough balls and weigh them all. And then I would gather a whole bunch of the finished loaves of bread, weigh them all, and calculate how much moisture had been lost um, in the process. And I would um, take the temperature of the dough at different stages. I would take the temperature of the finished bread. I would use calipers to measure, you know, how tall is the loaf at this point versus when it's done rising. 
Um, I would take measurements of, you know, if, if it proofs at this length, how long does it end up after the conveyor belt? Um, and all of these, you know, you take lots to get an average and make a spreadsheet and make decisions about how is this product going to be made. I realized that something so ordinary, like the bread that you find on the shelf at so Sobeys, is actually quite extraordinary, quite complicated. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus offers parables, something very simple, to point to something quite extraordinary. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast mixed into flour and worked through the dough. I realize that owning a field or even a garden or a home for many of us in Toronto is not something that is ordinary, but the idea of making bread, that's something that I can relate to. You see, we didn't always know how the yeast was going to work. The air temperature, the flour temperature, the time of year, the mix time, the brand, the age of the yeast, all of these factors affected the speed of the rise and how well it rose. Sometimes we knew that something was wrong. The bread was rising too slowly, and we would have to adjust the conditions to make sure that this batch wasn't wasted. We would watch, and we would measure, we would wait. And we could change the environment a little, change the temperature, you know, leave it in longer, um, but we couldn't force the yeast to work. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast mixed into flour. The kingdom of heaven starts with something small and with work and care and patience. It grows exponentially. I watched and I took measurements of this bread as it was rising, and in the same way, I'm invited to watch and look for signs of God's kingdom rising in our world. I needed to learn the signs that I was looking for when I was measuring this bread. I think that we, like the as the body of Christ, we need to look for the signs that we're watching for when we're seeing God's kingdom rising. Jesus prays in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's familiar to many of us. The sign of God's kingdom, I believe, is right there. Things on earth being done in accordance with God's will on earth, just like things are in heaven. In essence, I believe that one key sign of this is justice. There are other aspects of God's kingdom, but justice is really central. It's things being made right on earth in our lives according to God's perfect design. When teenagers are leading protests against the climate crisis for the sake of creation, for the survival of humanity, the kingdom is rising. When refugees are given a safe place in a shelter like Adam House, instead of huddling under an overpass with 15,000 Haitian refugees in Del Rio, Texas, places like Adam House are the kingdom rising. When 106 indigenous communities now have access to clean drinking water after years and years of boil water advisories, that's the kingdom rising up. When queer folks are honored as image bearers of God, not sidelined from the life of the church, that's kingdom justice. When the sins of racism and sexism are confronted at every level of government, of institution, and in our own lives, the kingdom is near. When children are celebrated and nurtured and protected, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When the lonely are set in families and communities of deep care and understanding and relationship are established, it's a sign of God's kingdom coming on earth. 
And even as we see this evidence of God's kingdom arriving as justice all around us, those are good news stories, we know that the work is incomplete. It's that now and not yet essence of God's kingdom. It's already here, and it has yet to arrive. Both are true. It's a beautiful, mysterious paradox, and we as children of God hold that intention. We have to wait to see his kingdom come, and we see it happening right now. It takes experience and discernment to know when to wait expectantly and know that the yeast is doing its work, know that the kingdom of God is coming, and also to know when to intervene, when to set conditions um, so that an optimal rise can happen. However, that process of active waiting leads us to care more deeply about God's kingdom. This care aligns our hearts with God's, and it develops a compassion and a patience in us that equips us for the long haul, trusting that God is doing good work. The God of all time and space is working even when we don't see the bread rising. The transformation in the bread dough is catalyzed by yeast, and it's happening as the dough rests, and we can take heart in that, that even in times of rest, in times of waiting, God is at work. Sometimes, though, we don't just watch and wait. We get involved, like this woman in Matthew 6, who had to mix the small amount of yeast into 60 pounds of flour, which, hang on, 60 pounds, that is more than Toby weighs. Like, that is a lot of flour. And that's hard work. She was probably making it for a feast or for a party or maybe even to sell. And she didn't just have to mix the dough, but she also had to shape it, set it to proof, bake it. Like, it's a process. It's hard work, and she did it. Similarly, as people living the way of Christ, I think we're, we're invited to create the conditions that allow the kingdom to rise up. We can choose how to use our finances to do good. We can vocally and actively oppose injustice where we see it in areas that we have some influence. We can spend our time serving people who have experienced injustice and who are vulnerable to harm. Maybe there's a specific sphere of work that you feel God has called you to, to make change in. This is holy kingdom work. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we do it? I think it begins with one small step and then another. We need to have eyes of hope to recognize where God is at work. And earlier, Christoph led us in singing, open up my eyes in wonder, fill me with your heart, lead me in your love to those around me. And that's our prayer. Just like I spent time measuring the bread as it rose, I can spend time watching, measuring, attuning myself to the things that are happening in my neighborhood, in the city, around the world, tuning into what God might be doing there and asking that question, watching with active eyes. We can ask God to give us those eyes to see and ears to hear and discernment to know when he wants us to be part of what he's doing. And even in the midst of so much trouble and hardship in our world, and two or a week and a half ago, we had the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, and wow, what a reminder that there is still trouble, there is still work to be done, and I think we can talk about the good news stories and still know that there is so much to be done. We need to be filled with hope, though. We need to be able to see what our role can be in this. This can happen in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and all across the world. I know that I'm talking about bread 
and baking in the allegorical sense as an image of the work of God. But I think the work that I was doing in some part was the work of justice. So one day my supervisor said to me, Natasha, I want you to look at making a package of bagels that weighs 25% less than the average bagel, so smaller bagels, and only four to a bag. And I said, why would you want to sell less bagels? That doesn't make sense. And he said, well, for some people, maybe they live alone, or they're the only person in their house that's eating bread. This was when being gluten-free was more in conversation, and so we knew that less people were eating the bagels. And he said, when you buy a pack of six big bagels, often you're only eating half at a time. That is not something that I usually choose to do. I will eat a whole bagel. But for some people, that's too much. And he said, we want to be able to sell them a smaller bag of bagels because when you, only, when you have six and you only eat four, the last two get thrown out. Now, Canadians throw out two million tons of food waste a year, which is a huge contributor to the ongoing climate crisis. And I participated in this project. I'm not sure where it ended up, but that work is the work of justice because it's taking something that would otherwise be wasted and saying, no, there's a better way. So he wanted me to make a bag of bagels that still looks big and appealing, but is actually a little bit less. These days, the baking that I do isn't in a commercial kitchen. It is uh, pumpkin bread with chocolate chips for my children or uh, non bread when my parents come to visit and we're having butter chicken. As the weather cools, my baking is more sourdough and cornbread and biscuits and soup. Is this unpaid, unseen work, bread that never sees the shelf of a grocery store, also part of the work of justice? I think it is. I think the cooking and the baking that we do in our own homes, maybe your mind is right now thinking about the turkey that you are cooking this afternoon, I think that that is part of the work of the kingdom because it joins us with God's desire to create something, to make something good, to nourish those he loves, to provide. In a broken and hurting world, I think that one of the greatest acts of hope that we can have is to love our own household, love the people that you're with. And I think it lays the foundation for justice to ripple out of your home. And I know that in our church community, and I know especially a few, I can think of a few people who are probably watching online, there are some amazing home cooks here. There are people here who infuse love and creativity and stewardship and generosity into the things you make. The, the people who are doing this, they're the ones who welcome friends to safely gather. They're the ones who have been dropping off packages of baked goods on people's porches for the last who knows how long. Um, they're the ones who even are just sharing tips on Instagram. How can I make this thing that looks so good? They're happy to help you. They're help helping people to nourish each other. So the posture that we take towards the cooking and the baking that we do, I think is important because it turns this meal that you're preparing for your family or for yourself from a thankless chore into a holy act of worship. I think it begins in the same way that we talked about earlier, starting small, just like a mustard seed or a little bit of yeast and having eyes to see God's hand in all of this. You gather your ingredients, you take a deep breath, and you recognize that God is with you. Even at times when the kids are yelling or you're looking at your phone wondering why you didn't just door dash, or you're thinking, why do these recipes 
on these blogs have 16 paragraphs of preamble, I just need the recipe. And it's that chaotic moment, you can stop and you can pause, and in gratitude and in recognition of God's work, you can say, God, I want to be your hands in this meal. I think that's where we begin. It's small, but I encourage you, as you prepare food this week, to take that moment to pause and see God in it. I hope that the woman in Jesus' parable had a sister or a daughter or a neighbor to help her. If you're cooking Thanksgiving dinner today, I think you know what I mean. It's Cooking for a crowd is best done with a friend beside you, and one thing that I've noticed is that the work of justice is similar. When you have a friend beside you, you can go further. Um, one thing that my family and I are doing this month is the Run with Refugees that Knox is doing in partnership with Adam House. My kids are getting uh, their emails ready to ask their grandparents to support them, ask family members, um, and Knox has set a goal of raising $5,000 for this work. Um, we're going to get our stroller and our scooters, and we're going to do this uh, long walk. Um, and we've invited friends to join us. The money from this fundraiser is doing the good work of refugee um, support in our city. And I want to extend that invitation to you as well. If you're not sure where to start, you're feeling alone in this challenge and want to participate in something that God is doing in our city, um, you don't need to be an athlete. And if you want to participate by um, giving funds instead, that's great too. I think we're actually very close to our goal of $5,000, so I would like to see the Knox team blow right past that and raise much more for this good work. Um, you can send me an email or reach out to Pastor Nestor this week if you want to get involved in that or um, if you're interested in learning more. I know that this isn't a typical Thanksgiving sermon, but I really believe that the, the gratitude that we feel is what compels us to justice. When we stop and consider how God has provided for us, when we're feasting together on the goodness that he has provided, I think the natural overflow is to think then about who doesn't have a feast today. Maybe there's a way for you to extend your table this week in a way that allows the work of God's kingdom to be done, whether you can safely do that around a table or do that at a distance. Maybe God's prompting you to provide groceries for vulnerable people who might not have anything to eat at all. I heard on CBC this morning that food banks are experiencing an unprecedented level of demand this year. And uh, if you want help figuring out how to connect with a food bank or with the work with groceries that Knox provides, um, reach out to me as well. I would love to help you get connected with that. But I think that's the way that Thanksgiving feasting can lead into the work of justice, when it doesn't just become about what we have, but what we can give. God invites us into this work of watching and waiting, adjusting conditions, changing the environment so that good things can rise. And I pray that you would do it in his power, the same mysterious power that causes yeast to create carbon dioxide in bread. That power is at work in us and in our world. And I pray that we would um, also rise up, that we would see this as good and holy work that we can do together. There are a few questions for reflection, and I encourage you to think about those for a few minutes and make notes in your phone. I find it, or on a piece of paper, I find it really helpful to actually take what I'm thinking about and turn it into something that I can hold. And um, if you want to connect with me at some point to talk about this, I would love to do that as well.